0: The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is on the cinemas. Ice houses is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous. And a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very Very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello, and welcome to Loose Units Origins, the weekly true crime podcast where I talk to my dad about stuff he did in the 80s. It's a little more specific than that, but dad, this week's chapter is chapter 41 from my book Loose Units, Something Bad in Store. Now, as a general rule, and I just want to throw this out there, how do you feel about the premise of the citizen's arrest? Is that a thing, first of all, if you're a citizen? Can you do a citizen's arrest?
1: Well, it's interesting, Paul, that you said if you're a citizen, because I guess everyone's a citizen. Right. Aren't they?
0: Yeah, but by that rationale, you could be a mugger and claim that the person had jewellery that was swinging around angrily, and you're just a citizen, just doing Mm. a citizen's arrest. Like, what is a citizen's arrest? Is that a completely fabricated cinematic kind of trope, or is it real?
1: There was an incident in Sydney, quite a horrific incident, last year where a guy in his 20s, he had murdered a girl that he met. She was an escort and he ran out onto the street and he was, you know, covered in blood. He was wielding a massive knife. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, citizens... Yeah. I mean, they're not professional sort of law enforcement officers, but Mm -hmm. they took it upon themselves. Clearly, um, a serious offence had taken place. Yep. And... You know, brave, brave citizens came and and I believe there were even a few firemen involved that were sort of nearby on duty and they managed to, at great risk to themselves, apprehend this particular person who was eventually convicted of the most serious offence, that being murder. You know, we all as citizens have... I would would go so far as to say almost a moral duty, an obligation. Mm. If you see something, okay, Paul, you and Tegan are walking through the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. Yep. And you see, um, let's just create a sort of um, imaginary scenario. Someone coming Um, at someone else with a knife maybe? Well, what I was going to say was that you see in front of you, maybe 50 meters away, an elderly lady. Mm -hmm. Let's say she's in her 80s. And she's got a gun. No, no, no. She's got a Zimmer frame. Oh, you can't kill someone with that. Well, you could if it had, um, like, if. um, Who was the guy in James Bond? Was it M or Q that did all
0: the the gadgets? The gadgets were done by Q, but I was thinking more, you know, in, like, the Avengers where. He pulls out the, he has like a sword cane. You could have, you know, like four swords hidden mm. in each of the, you know, a sword hidden in each of the legs well, of the Zimmer frame.
1: If the Zimmer frame had been modified, mm. it could easily have, um, well, definitely have um, the ability to fire small caliber uh, ammunition from the handles.
0: So you're saying that, okay, so we're walking through, through the... So Tegan and I are walking through the Botanic Gardens and mm. an old woman with a modified Zimmer frame with, uh, you know, a gun in each end mm. is charging at who? Who's she going to Well, attack? she'd
1: be shooting backwards, funnily enough. Would she? Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry, the handles. The right.
1: handles, which are facing backwards. Right, okay, so um, she's...
0: Right, so she's... She, well, then, isn't she on the defensive? If she's running from someone, that's surely self-defense. She's
1: right. not running from anyone. Right. But Paul... Um, just Can we just rewind? But please keep this in the podcast because it's bizarre and fascinating. But what I was no. going to say yeah. is that out of the bushes comes a hooded person. Yeah. And they mug her. Okay? So can't you, she can't doesn't... You
0: just, can't you just shoot them with a zimmer frame gun? No, because that was
1: hypothetical. But back to reality. Now, you and Tegan are witnessing this event unfold. Okay. And the lovely lovely, I'm assuming she's lovely. She may well not be because some elderly people quite frankly are not lovely. At and all. also this this woman is, you know, I mean she's modified her Zimmer frame no, to she have hasn't. guns in it. No, she has that's in the other reality.
0: Oh, it's, it's a different universe. Yeah. But right. it,
1: coming back to where it's not a modified Zimmer frame. Okay. But you and Tegan are watching this unfold. Now this 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 person, elderly lady, she will not let go of her handbag for lots of reasons. Um, maybe she's got like some disease, like she's got a, like a claw or crab type disease where she's actually unable to let go of her handbag. Yeah. But that's unlikely. Um, what's more likely is that she just doesn't, on principle, because it's a reaction that she just doesn't want to lose her treasures, like her pensioner card. And so, you and Tegan come up with a plan very, very quickly. You say to Tegan, Tegan, call triple zero, okay? Notice I didn't say triple O, because they're not O's, they're zeros. You with me? Yeah. That's important,
0: Paul. Okay. A lot of of people say triple O. Well, if I'm dialing triple O, I'm dialing, uh, I think, (laughs) 666? Oh, God. (laughs) So...
1: Meanwhile, Tegan is getting onto the emergency services. Yeah. So when she gets through to the emergency services, they're going to say police, fire, or ambulance. She will say police. And meanwhile, you're running, that you're sprinting the 50 metres. It's like a 50 metre dash. And you've never run this fast because in your mind, you're preparing yourself to crash tackle this offender. Mm Mm-hmm. You get to the guy and you just nail him. You drive him through the air. You come crashing down. You land on top of him and you pin him to the ground. Other passers-by begin to see the commotion. The lady in her Zimmer frame is clearly distressed and she's screaming and shouting. She's waving her floral hat around, trying to gain attention and more and more people come to your aid because this is a big person he's built like a brick shit house turns out he's an escapee and meanwhile Tegan's got onto the emergency services she's given the location a very very she's stressed she's kind of all over the shop because she's watching her lovely husband you on the ground sort of and now my point being Paul that you are a citizen and you had every single right in this situation to do what you did. The the cutoff where things can become a little bit hazy is imagine he was armed, you grabbed the knife off him yep. and you stuck the knife in his heart.
0: So Okay, so at that point it becomes... You oh, know, you'd, thr- you'd, be, you'd be up shit creek without a paddle. Because I'm looking at the definition of citizen's arrest on the police website, and this is from the ACT uh, website, but Mm. it says here, a citizen's arrest is when you, as someone who is not a duly sworn police officer, so that's me in this hypothetical, Mm. detains a person because you know the other person is committing or has just committed an offense such as a theft, assault, or criminal damage. And then it says factors to consider before making a citizen's arrest. So first of all, the fact that this page even exists indicates that it's a thing so you should never make a citizen's arrest merely on suspicion a person is committing or has just committed an offense Mm, you must carefully yeah you must carefully consider a number of factors including first of all are you risking your personal safety well if he's got a knife or a weapon then yes Mm, um you mm. said he's built like a brick shithouse so you i think that's where the numbers come in you know um it's obviously much safer if a bunch of people Mm. you know hold someone down Mm. do you have positive identification for the person Yes, are they- because you've, well, you've witnessed the offence take place. In fact, it, the offence is still taking place whilst mm. you're running toward him. So, that's that's irrefutable. Well, I think in this case, it's. Um, I think this is done on the assumption that it's someone like in a shop or something, which is actually going to come into play regarding it this is, chapter. It is. But, it's a great segue. Yeah, but these are the factors. In, uh, these are the circumstances right now under which you should not detain, according to the ACT police. Mm. Are you risking your personal safety? Do you have positive identification for the person? Are they a regular customer or known to the store? And do you know where they live? Mm. Uh, And then it also says uh, there needs to be reasonable grounds for making the arrest. But here is the legislation that allows you, under appropriate circumstances, to make a citizen's arrest. And I hope this doesn't result in listeners Suddenly, just this, like, rash of impromptu arrests. Here we go. So... A person who is not a police officer may, without warrant, arrest another person if he or she believes on reasonable grounds that the other person is committing or has just committed an offense. A person who arrests another person shall, as soon as practicable after the arrest, arrange for the other person and any property found on the other person to be delivered into the custody of a police officer. So that sounds like kind of like a deputized sheriff, but it's the reasonable grounds that Mm. gets me. And here is how it defines reasonable grounds. Reasonable grounds means you have direct evidence that constitutes belief that the person has committed an offense. An obvious example of reasonable grounds would be if you were to actually see a customer take an item from a store shelf, put it into their pocket, and then walk out of the store with that item, thus indicating a clear intention not to pay for it. Now, this seems to say that you could do a citizen's arrest, which I'm assuming isn't a crash tackle. I assume it's just like making sure they don't leave. Um, in, in, the, in the case of, like, a shoplifter or whatever, but let's say, yeah, let's say it is the knife or the Zimmer frame with bullets in it or whatever, right, like the Zimmer frame gun. Now, in the case of this chapter, Dad, in the case of Chapter 41, uh, which is called Something Bad in Store, this takes place at a department store in Coffs Harbour, correct?
1: No, no, on the northern beaches of Sydney. Right. David Jones.
0: Yes. DJs. Which is... Well, in the book, in the book, it's at Coffs Harbour because you mm. guys were on holiday at that point. Mm. But you're we saying it holidays. actually took place? Yeah. It actually what? took place on the Northern Beaches.
1: But yes, I, I'd been on holiday for some time. Yeah. But there's a prequel to the story, which I'd like to sort of touch on, Paul. Please do. Okay. I was working with a female police officer. Um, we were at Mossman. We were on general duties. It was afternoon shift. It was dark. Do you recall her name? Yes. Her name... Shall I use her real name? Uh, No, I will use her real name. I'll just use her her Christian name. Her name was... Her name was, I say was, and if she's still alive, her name probably still is Mm. because not many people change their first name by deed poll, do they? Not many. And her name is Sharon and she ended up marrying a police officer and she was one of those female police officers that I thoroughly enjoyed working with because she was... Just wonderful. She was adept, confident, um, professional, and she'd never let you down. She was bloody awesome. Okay. Now, we had a particular, I say we, in in North Sydney, uh, which was 6th Division, there was a particular female store detective and she worked for Woolworths. That was her brief. Woolworths employed her so she probably worked in many many Woolworth stores but she had a fierce reputation and she was so zealous in fact overzealous that I found it quite, um, quite depressing and um, it brings in a very interesting moral point at this juncture Paul, that I would like to cover and that is that if you saw someone stealing a packet of chewing gum for example what would you do
0: uh, I would probably... Oh, God, that's a good question because it, it seems like chewing gum is not that... It doesn't require that much of a response, right? You just sort of, like, block the door and, I mean... You're so second- sweet. That's so sweet of you, Paul. Look, it's...
1: You know what? I couldn't give a rat's ass. Well, it's just gum. Like, who gives a shit? No, right? but also, I think you've got to get things into perspective mm. because imagine if the situation escalates... Imagine if the person that you see stealing a packet of chewing gum,
0: mm-hmm.
1: imagine if that's just the tip of the iceberg. Right. Um, you don't know anything about the person. Are you really going to put your life in danger, potentially? I would even today, and I'm, I'm a pretty big guy and you know I'm pretty cluey, but if I saw someone sort of shove a packet of crisps under their shirt... Um, I'd kind of think yeah that's pretty uncool would I alert a member of staff I may say to someone if they were nearby hey that guy that lady's just shoved some chips under their Mm t-shirt but I'm not going to lose sleep over it Um, and I know there are professional shoplifters out there that go to extraordinary lengths and steal the most unbelievable things you can't imagine some of the things these people can steal But they're professionals. But, you know, is it really worth putting your life... um, I, I would certainly perhaps pass it on to a member of staff and then abrogate all my responsibility. And then if they then went to sort of stop the person... It's a very technical legal thing about theft, in my opinion. They should at least be given the advantage... Of being able to leave the store. Because has a theft occurred whilst in the store? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but then do you let them go outside and sort of just... Oh, God, it's it's, it's fraught with... um. I mean, what happens if you see a young mother with some little babies, like little kids? They're all disheveled. They look as so though they haven't had a bath in a week. And... She looks around. She looks so so sad and kind of look. She's homeless, say, and she puts a loaf of bread under her under her dress, for example. Well,
0: that that's when discretion comes into it, I guess. Well,
1: yes, but in the eyes of the law, they don't really take that into consideration. But as a as a human,
0: if I saw that, I'd what would I do? But you've talked so often about exercising discretion, and that's what good police do, is that they exercise discretion and they, you know, they slightly tailor the kind of delivery of certain things depending on the context, right? Mm, but mm. what I'm curious about is what this apparently draconian, um, you know, woman did who... What was her actual job position? She was
1: a undercover store detective. I mean, I find that word detective kind of a little bit... Well... Did she flash yeah. a badge or... Like, oh, I look, she works. didn't have a badge, but... You know, she was just a hard nut, and you knew that if ever you were called to Woolworths in sixth division, yeah, you knew that it was her, and you knew that it was going to be a big production. One thing that she used to do regularly, which I which infuriated me, she would insist that we arrested the person, and I kind of liked doing that because I would then turn around and go, no. We're not arresting this person. Occasionally, you would. You give them a you warning. Didn't. I mean, I guess no, no. With shop- well, no, but you could you could summons them. You could get all their details and get them to appear or in court. That you you don't always have to sort of, you know, handcuff someone. Because remember, when you arrest someone, you're taking away their liberty. Yeah, it's such a big thing to do, and you know, you you handcuff them. If necessary, you, everyone in the store gets to see them. What happens if they're a local? Yeah. Like, what happens if it's... You've completely screwed
0: their rep. At oh, point, yeah. You know, and it's happened to, to Hollywood um, movie stars, hasn't it? I mean, look at Winona Rider, yeah? So you've got countless men in Hollywood for many years doing horrendous shit, like just off the rails, and their careers are fine. And Winona Ryder stole, I think, a hat and was photographed shoplifting... And then she did some community service. And then her career disappeared for like a decade as a result. It doesn't seem entirely fair. But
1: anyway.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, look, there are so many things to consider.
1: But one night, one I guess it was because it was a Thursday night because it was yeah. open till nine, we get a call to attend Woolworths Neutral Bay. We meet uh, the store detective. She's in her usual, very officious, um, you know, sort of hard edged kind of telling us what to do. Now, that's the worst thing you can do. You know, when I was in the police force, if I had sort of a store detective insisting that we take a particular course of action, immediately I would probably do the opposite. And I sussed this person out. It turned out to be one of the major fuck-ups of my police career. This this guy who, who was massive, very uh, erudite. Uh, you know, he was, he was uh, very sort of subdued. Um, polite, Um, he'd stolen one packet of chewing gum and she insisted that we basically, you know, take him out to Long Bay and throw away the keys. It was juicy fruit, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just... juicy fruit? Yeah, juicy fruit. I mean, honestly, it's so inane and so... uh, I, I was thinking to myself, what are we doing? Like, seriously? Anyway, what happened was we got the guy's details and we... We took him back to the police station, and we fingerprinted him, and we, for some reason or other, we charged him. But we obviously, because it was such a minor offence, we um, we let him go, and we we he was bailed to appear at North Sydney Court. I'm almost embarrassed telling this story at this point, um, but you know that was that was. That was the way it was back then. Um, Sometimes we just had to, you know, go with the flow and follow procedure. And it's such a waste of police resources on such a tiny, tiny matter. But I guess one can argue there's a principle. So what happened was he was bailed. Um, I got a few details in my notebook. There was just something about this guy that just slightly kind of made me feel that something wasn't quite right. It was just a feeling, but you can't really go on a feeling. So what happened was a few days later, once his fingerprints had been processed at the Central Fingerprint Bureau, all his real details came back and it turns out that he was a heavy crim and he was also, he'd done some serious time the murder. Do you have any serious recollection? I was going to say, what did he? What he'd done? Eight years in a maximum security prison, mm. and get ready for this, Paul. He um, he was an escapee, and we'd completely. Um, so, what he'd done? He's he's on the run, um, and he was also a professional shoplifter, right? But we didn't know any of this because he'd given us uh, a dodgy name, which people often did. And then you had to sort of process, but you can't just hold people unless it's it, obviously. He, if he'd committed a serious offence, we would have fingerprinted him that night. Then someone could have gone over to the bureau that that night with yeah. the prints and waited whilst they did a a check. But because it was just gum, because he, it was gum, we you just didn't thought, think to, yeah, no. And also, but you know this this overly officious Woolworth store detective mm. on this particular occasion. She, uh, she was pretty spot on in terms of, you know, her reaction. And, uh, and then what happened was once we realised that he, in fact, you know, had been in our grasp and then he'd, he'd gone, mm. that, um, you know, that sort of ate away at me for some time. Meanwhile, you were a little baby. You were probably maybe two years old. You are in a pram, Mm -hmm. and Christine was eight and a half months pregnant. Jesus. All right, so right at the pointy end. Right ready to drop a bundle.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
1: And she was pregnant yeah. with Anne, your sister. Mm-hmm. It was holidays. I'd been on leave for at least a month. Yep. We went down to David Jones at Warringah Mall, which is in Brookvale on the northern beaches of Sydney. And I had not shaven at all for some weeks. And... I was dressed extremely casually. You were in this little pram. I remember the pram very well. Mm -hmm. And we were just sort of doing something that I don't know whether people can actually today remember what I'm about to say, but we were actually browsing in a shopping center, Um, something that I haven't done for a long time. And David Jones just had this really nice vibe. It was quite quite a nice store. Not necessarily the sort of place we could at that point in time afford to shop in, but it was nice to just kind of. It was midsummer, so it was air conditioned, and you know, it was in the morning, it would have been definitely midweek. And like in a movie, Paul, where you've got imagine the letter X, which indicates two escalators next to each other. One going up, one going down. Mm -hmm. Christine and you were down the bottom. So we are probably on the second floor. It's a three-story building, Mm -hmm. still there. And as I'm going down the escalator, like in a movie, I'm just sort of looking around. And occasionally, it's because it's a bit weird at that juncture, at the sort of crux of the letter X is where you can eyeball people that are next to you. Yeah. And I'm looking and I see this guy, this massive, massive guy with a full-face beard and he's a big guy. I'm trying to give give the listeners an idea. So let's say that I weigh 90 kilos and I'm over six foot. He was at least as tall as me, but he would have weighed about 130 kilos and he was he was he was a hard hard kind of fit massive guy he looked like a bikey and as I'm looking at him and he looks at me and for that moment in time there was a mutual realization that we'd both seen each other before And I thought, I've seen you before. And then I realised that he was, in fact, an escapee. He was still an Mm escapee. He was an escapee with warnings next to his name. Under no circumstances is this person to be approached. If you're a police officer on duty and you see him, you must call for extensive backup. In other words, he's a, a dangerous motherfucker. I'm, I'm dressed like a bag of shit, unshaven. It would have been maybe 11 in the morning, midsummer, northern beaches. Everyone's pretty chilled. I'm wearing thongs, shorts, T-shirt. Christine is at the bottom with you. So I'm heading down to her and I'm... Loath to look back because I'm thinking, I don't let's just pretend that he didn't cotton on to who I am.
0: Yeah, as
1: the second I get down to you and Christine, I have a sense of foreboding. I knew in my heart what I had to do, I knew it was I'm not going to say it was foolhardy, but I felt as though I'd let this guy slip once before. Yeah. And I really... My entire professional police persona just like flicking a light switch. I just went into police mode, even though I was unarmed. And I said something profound to Christine that was, as it turns out, something that probably I wouldn't go so far as to say saved my life, but I don't know. But I did something so... Um, I I think it was the right thing to do at the time and it was an extreme thing. I said to Christine, you must get the police, call the police, get a member of staff to call the police, tell them where we are and tell them that it's a signal one.
0: Now, you know the importance of that, Paul. So, a signal one means that an officer is in danger or under attack, right? Yep. So, yep. what you were doing was basically saying, uh, in about 20 seconds, I am going to be in a fight with this guy, right? Mm. Yep. So, the, the assumption was that, look, this is probably not going to go smoothly, but you were performing. Okay, here's an interesting point. As you were off duty, is this a citizen's arrest? No. The second really? you announce your office, right. the second... A police
1: officer announces he or she is a police officer you are on duty yeah. yeah okay in fact you could argue that a police officer is never ever off duty they get they can switch on and off as they as they wish but they have to be prudent yeah you're not going to go up to some you know hell's angel on a fucking harley davidson and say oh you're, you're illegally parked because he'll uh-huh. probably kill you Yeah. That's foolhardy. Even though I did work with police that were that stupid. Yeah. Trust me. Okay. So, anyway, and the look on her face, and she's pregnant. She's two weeks off giving birth to your sister. Yeah. I look down at you. I look at Christine. I'm aware of what is going to happen. The last thing on earth I wanted was to put you and Christine in any danger. And then I realised what I had to do. Christine's gone off and she was going to take control of getting this urgent information to all the local police, which would have been DY and Manly. But being a Signal 1, it's weird to say a Signal 1 because it hadn't happened yet. It could well be the very first person, I could possibly be the first person ever to call a Signal 1 before it actually became one.
0: I think what it probably meant was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did this mean that you then had to follow through with some sort of arrest? It's like by doing already, that, you... Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'd,
1: set, I'd set the wheels in motion. I'd already made a, a very conscious decision. I was quite aware that yeah. physically it was going to be tough. Yeah. It was like stepping into a boxing ring with mm-hmm. a much larger, and a person, might I add, that had nothing to lose. Now, I didn't know where that person had gone to. I just knew that they'd gone to the top floor, but they could well have just run around and gone back down. There are so many ways to have, to get out. They could have gone to an elevator. Mm. Or they could have hidden. So I've dashed up, but I tried to be a little bit cool. I didn't sort of go running up the escalator, but mm. I just kind of did it fairly deliberately. When I got to the top floor, which is primarily white goods or was white goods, but it was a massive furniture section with, yeah. you know, displays. And it was high, high end. Hmm. In fact, they even had an antique section within David Jones at Ringamall where they had the most most expensive antiques money could buy in Australia. It was really high end. And I saw him and... I approached him. By that stage, I knew his real name. It was sort of emblazoned in my mind. And I called out his first name, his Christian name. Yeah. And he turned and I said, and I just uttered his full name. I said, you're under arrest. And the only thing that I could do, and then I began to realize as I got closer to him how fucking scary he was, And I basically just lunged toward him and we kind of sort of ended up with this sort of like a double bear hug. He was sort of trying to get away and the only thing I could do, like I couldn't basically stand away from him and sort of like in a ring and you'd sort of, you'd come in and you know, sort of punch or whatever. It was not like a fight because I realized at that point that if I let go, he would decamp. He'd just bolt. So I just realized the only thing I could do was hold on for grim death. So I was basically hanging on to this thrashing machine and we were creating such a terrible commotion in David Jones that As we were spinning around, I began to get this sense that there were people, and obviously there were people, just watching this whole situation unfold, and then at a certain point, we ended up literally smashing furniture. We were ending up on... It was like in in a movie where we were just crashing through, whole sort of room displays with lights and tables, you know, sideboards... Um, everything that you've got inside um, a department store is just being flown. There were were lamps. There were... Oh, God, it was such a shit fight. And then I began to be aware that he was forcing me over towards the the bedding section. Mm -hmm. And we ended up on this huge bed. Oh. Yeah. Romantic. Um, Very romantic. And he was literally on top of me and he was crushing me and I, the only thing I could do was hold on to him and I was holding on for grim death and then I became aware that the only thing I could do was just wait and I could hear police sirens in the background which was incredibly comforting and then Christine had made her way up with you into this area and it was very easy for her to find out where I was because of the incredible just furniture-smashing light bulbs sort of just everything just being smashed it was basically a trail of destruction and there were probably maybe 30 or 40 people all standing around watching this these two men just sort of having this huge brawl in the furniture section of david jones and then poor poor christine she left you in the pram and you would have been watching this whole thing unfold so i I can't imagine how you as a two-year-old would have you know sort of being able to comprehend your father having the shit kicked out of him and then your pregnant mother running toward this this psychopath and Christine was so distressed and she's a serving police officer she was so distressed and I'm sure that she was screaming and shouting and begging all these people to to help and she would have this would have been this sort of this sort of mixed emotion of just fear, I mean it was the whole thing was just terrible. Yeah. And I remember looking to my right and I could see Christine coming over and this fuckwit scumbag degenerate animal, he turned around and he kicked Christine in the stomach. He kicked Christine in her eight and a half month pregnant stomach and he knocked her to the ground. So this guy was, he's, he's a bad, bad guy. And the store detective, who was a huge guy, he had seen all this and he's running towards this commotion. He sees Christine get knocked to the ground. The The, the terror and fear and just dismay by onlookers to see that happen would have been traumatic. But the reason that no one kind of intervened with the two men on the bed was that we both looked like bags of shit. They could not tell who was and who was not a police officer. Because of your kind of...
0: You were in holiday mode, right? Holiday just, mode, unshaven.
1: Yeah. Mm. You know, I was just... I just, It just looked like two men having a brawl, which is unusual. Yeah. Um, but then people would have also witnessed what happened to Christine. They would have witnessed you probably... I'm, I just can't imagine what you were thinking. But the store detective, who was a gargantuan human, mm-hmm. he was massive, he kind of came over. Now, he didn't know who was who, so what he did is he jumped on the bed with the two of us. So then we had three men on a bed. Hello. And what he was doing, he was basically sort of crushing the offender who was crushing me. So it was like a sandwiched threesome of three big men, and I was on the bottom. So I had, <laughs> ostensibly, about 250 to 300 kilos literally crushing the life out of me. If it had have been the ground with no give, it, I could have broken ribs and who knows, but because of there's give in the bed. And eventually, the police... Rocked up. Look, if I hadn't have got Christine to call a Signal One, I hate to think how this would have ended. And I'm not joking. There were so many police. And you think about the logistics of rocking up to a major shopping centre, making your way into the building, making your way up to the third floor. Yeah. And there were police. They would have outnumbered the public. It was really comforting. And they have literally sussed out what was happening in a in a microsecond, mm. and they arrested the offender. And this is a little bit exciting, Paul. I'm not sure whether whether this is mentioned, but I kind of they had to get an ambulance for Christine. And as an aside, it made
0: the front page of the Manly Daily. Did it? The local paper. Oh wow! And if anyone, if anyone who works at the Manly Daily could find this, please, for the love of God, I want to see this headline. Yeah,
1: the, the headline read, "Yeah, Pregnant woman's attacker jailed. That was the headline. And then it went into the preamble. But when they got this scumbag into an office, he, and there were police, literally, there were so many police in this room that, you know, it was like, And I'll never forget this scumbag. He reached into his pocket. He wasn't handcuffed at that stage. And he grabbed something out of his pocket. And he shoved it into his mouth. And he began chewing rapidly. No, he didn't. He began chewing rapidly. And a petite... And I mean that in... I don't mean that in any disparaging or... don't misconstrue the word petite, but this petite policewoman, in a microsecond, shoved her entire hand down this arsehole's throat. It was incredible. It was. It had to be seen to believe to be believed. And she pulls out of his throat this like a mangled piece of A4 paper Mm -hmm. and she unravels this ball of half-masticated saliva-coated paper and she spreads it out over the desk Mm -hmm. and there in front of everyone's eyes is a list of items that he was out to steal he was a professional shoplifter as well as a murderer and he did lots of other terrible things as well. Scary stuff.
0: So that's the kind of stuff that you would then just basically just take it to court, right? Like oh, he was,
1: he was... And then later that day, I went to DY Police Station, which is where he had been charged and he yeah. was being interrogated by the detectives. And this is going to sound a little bit weird, listeners, but I actually filled out a form for overtime. <laughs> Because I was entitled to four hours minimum
0: for Uh recall to duty. Right. But what I will say, Dad, is that... I mean, look, that's... I'm really happy you got paid for overtime. What I'm curious about is, was mum okay? Mum was.
1: I'd just gone back after this traumatic incident at David Jones and the day that Christine was going to give birth after she'd been... You know, she had to have a lot of medical tests to make sure she was okay, that the baby was okay. But... You know, it all kind of ties in all these stories, the police stories, you know, the the whole thing. And the thing, Paul, is that eventually this guy was charged with some really, really serious offences.
0: But there weren't any, like, health ramifications for mum?
1: No, no, no. Although, yeah, although, no, not really, but I, I guess psychologically there'd always be, you know. But we, were, the person we were actually most concerned about,
0: Paul, was yeah. you. As a baby, to witness oh. what that terrible trauma—I have no memory of it—but maybe a hypnotherapist could kind of dredge that up. But what I'm really, really curious about is, what did you think of my Hollywood-esque spin on how the whole thing went down in the book? I thought it was
1: as per usual, Paul. Bloody brilliant. What you do, you get you get the the sort of the kernel of um, you know the idea, and then you just you just because let's face it, let's how let's remember how all this came about. In that you would interview me, mm. I'd talk to you, and then you'd kind of, you know, craft your your magic around the events. And um, and I love, I really enjoy reading your version, which is, you know, basically spot on, but you've added the sort of, you know, the the excitement and the thrill. Well, I love your lo- location. Kofs Harpers is just on any day. Mm. So beautiful compared to, uh, God, I, I don't want to sort of get any flack here from where that shopping center is on the northern beaches but it's a bit of a you know right bit of a sad area.
0: Cuz in the book I tried to make you sound like you were, you know, like fighting pretty well. Yeah. And of course <laughs> I know mate and I really appreciate that. And what you know you so- <laughs> Look I would have
1: if I could have but I just yeah. knew that if I had of broken away to sort of prepare some amazing karate stance. No, Paul, I you you, you scoff. But I you know I did I did
0: I did jujitsu for many many years, and what, what, believe you sorry, me, what I would. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's fact check this. Is that true? Of course, Paul.
1: I did jujitsu with Mister. Oh, I can't remember his name, but anyway, yeah, it was. I loved it. I loved. No, jiu-jitsu. hang on. you're,
0: t- if you're talking about Mister Sue. That was my type. No, of no, no. no
1: that's why I didn't. But my my guy was a Korean uh, black belt, amazing guy, and
0: yeah, I loved it. I did
1: it for super many many years. I did it like how, five how many years. years, maybe five, five years. When.
0: Oh, from when I was twelve to, well, maybe eleven to. Hang, on, weren't you in America? Weren't you a, um, a, a, like a decorated trumpeter playing on a, a cruise ship in England at that point? Paul, did did you take sabbatical from your jujitsu to do and play trumpet, and then continue your classes when you Paul, got back? Or,
1: Paul, when I lived in Beacon Hill, yeah, um, the home of jujitsu, obviously. <laughs> we had a, we had a youth club yeah. up the road that's still uh-huh. there, yeah, where. Th- that's where I also used to go to dances on Saturday night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jeez, I love those dances. During the week, it was, you know, you could do gymnastics. And one of the things that you could do was jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And, and,
0: and you went, how often did you go?
1: Minimum once a week.
0: Oh, you went once a week, every for week years. for five years? Oh, at least.
1: Five years at least? Paul, I made my way right up the ranks. <laughs> Paul... Sound as though you're about to shit your pants,
0: Paul. This isn't you went to a handful of lessons and then oh, like okay, so you what? sent me to two you sent me to two golf lessons. At no point would I go, ah, oh, for oh, years Paul. I was a professional golfer. Like what what are you talking about? Paul, doing? Sh- Paul. Oh, shit. You- <laughs> Paul. Listen, I, I climbed went, the I- ranks, Paul. <laughs> oh, Paul,
1: where do you get these look, honestly?
0: God. You can't just say at Paul, the end of a thing where you've revealed that you don't know how to fight going, well, I, I mean, I couldn't say, no, Paul, 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 I was a trained jiu-jitsu practitioner, and if I'd used jujitsu, I would have killed him, and I would have Paul, been liable in a court of law, fact.
1: Paul, Yep. I did jiu-jitsu for many, many years, okay? Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah I used to do sure. push-ups on my knuckles. Sure, sure. I used to do, hang on, don't you believe me? No. Oh, God, you're joking. But call your grandmother
0: for fuck's sake and fact check it. I'm going to call grandma and ask if you did jujitsu. And oh. we're going to get. I'm going to look. I'm going to. Because the thing is, I'm sure you did some jujitsu, but oh, the, sometimes the way you do. You've... You don't do some jujitsu.
1: I was a devotee. Okay. okay. Yep. Yeah. And I so- aspired mm-hmm. to get my black belt.
0: So, if I were to take you to, you know, like any kind of open area okay. and ask you to no. reenact some of your moves, would, yeah. you, would yes. you have any Yes, Paul, would you like me to give you the names
1: of some of the throws I used to do? Yep. Ippon Sianagi. Dad, you know that that's a
0: judo move. Is it?
1: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do judo.
0: Didn't you? No, Jitsu. I think some random Korean dude claimed he was an instructor and taught you just some <laughs> arbitrary shit. The facts are... <laughs> But, I think you yeah. did judo. You may have done judo. No, it was jujitsu. Well, we're going to have to meet in the field of battle and see if you still remember any of those moves. But look, listeners, this has been a really odd episode. I've had so much fun doing this episode with you, Dad. It's it's a wild story, and obviously in the book, it's it's quite different. But it has to be because it's the you know it's the Hollywood version of things. I'm so glad we got to find out the context though with the gum. That is really interesting. The story of this guy that you performed this arrest on. Mm actually continues uh, and it will continue over the coming weeks so stay tuned for that and this week for loose ends we've got a real treat for you so make sure you um, keep your eyes open for that in the meantime something else is happening this week you will have all heard dad's episode on dish uh, a couple of weeks back you'll have heard dad talking about uh, his desert island dish and his signature dishes and all kinds of stuff with tegan and i on our new show dish now you guys got that episode early that's the deal you got it but ...early because you're Loose Units fans. We gave that to you as a treat. That episode drops this week on the actual Dish feed. So now everyone else is going to hear what you've already heard. But what we would love is for you to go across to Dish on um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts... ...or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and a review because I just want Loose Units listeners to bring the love before everyone else gets to hear the episode. So make sure you get onto that for us. We'd really appreciate that. We're really working hard on Dish. And Dad's episode was just so great. It was so great. But we hope you're having a good week, and we're really looking forward to you listening to Loose Units this week and Loose Ends. So we will see you later this week for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.